0: Welcome to Growing Unicorns, where every week Holly Chen, Eli Rubel, and me, Karina Edwards, come together with some fun guest hosts at a live interactive discussion where we unpack stories from the trenches while we're working with some of the fastest growing unicorns today.
1: Well,
2: welcome everyone to our I think this is the second. No, this is the third, yep. third episode of Growing Unicorns Live. I am going to have Holly you introduce our special guest today and yourself and then we'll popcorn around to That's green. Hot.
3: Yeah, I will, I will start and uh, <laughs> Tiffany is gonna continue. Tiffany is the GM of uh, Enterprise Education and Partnership at Canva. She was previously at Envision, Dropbox, uh, and uh, some other amazing places that she was gonna talk about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Holly. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty excited actually. This is the first time we've met live. So this is like a lot of firsts in this episode, right. that's for sure, yes. which is awesome. But we've During actually pandemic. known each other for For maybe like, yeah, (laughs) a year and a half or so, roughly. Um, And uh, I've just moved back to San Francisco. I've been at Canva for the last couple of years. um, And for us uh, joining before essentially a good chunk of the B2B business has really started uh, ramping up. And I'm sure we can dive into questions about that along the way, definitely. And then prior to that uh, was at Envision, um, Dropbox, a few other startups, you know, that um, some folks um, have probably heard of. (laughs) on this call and elsewhere and i'm really excited to join this group here today and i think we're taking the topic in almost any direction pretty much so (laughs) i'm pumped um (laughs) let us know what you want to you want to learn and i love to learn too from from everybody else on this call
3: yeah what excites me is like the unscripted nature of this like we all like didn't really sing ahead of time of like, here are the 10 questions we're going to go through in order. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like what you hear is like totally like what, what we think about, like at the moment, which is like the most natural, the most real, and like, we're not, we're, we're not BS here. So you're hearing our truest thoughts, <laughs> Whatever, mm-hmm. whether, yeah. <laughs>
0: Mic drop, Holly. <laughs> uh,
1: no pressure. If you hear sure something, Are you should sure <laughs> <can't> ignore.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh man. Um, and I think everyone here knows me from last episode, but I'm Karina Edwards, VP of Demand Gen and Growth at Mattermade. I'm super pumped to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm gonna pass over to you, Eli.
2: Howdy, howdy, um, good to see everybody again, I am Eli or Elias, depending on how you know me, <laughs> marketing <laughs> advisor to a bunch of companies, Dropbox, Limcom, etc. And, you know, Tiffany, it's funny, I, as soon as I saw your face, I was like, wait, I've talked to this person before we've met, and we I didn't connect the dots. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Exactly. Totally
1: unrelated. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it was, um, it was at Dropbox, because we we overlapped there for a period of time, Uh when they brought All in Mattermaid, so yeah, yeah, a while ago. But anyway, how? Yeah, small world.
3: <laughs> I, anyway, you I, I hear about your business development story. At some point, Eli, it's like, <laughs> how did you <laughs> get into amazing? Com- get to work with amazing companies and, and it's so yeah. early stage as well. So. The
2: secrets, the secrets. Yeah, right. just,
3: follow your footsteps <laughs> like, oh, who should I work with next? Yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: uh, no. Well, let's get it kicked off on the on the topic. Who wants to start with a question for Tiffany?
3: Yeah. So like Tiffany works on partnerships a lot, right? Like you have an experience in biz ops and sales ops and partnerships. Um, and your role at Canva is pretty significant in covering a lot of different um, threads. Uh, so I would love to start with like, what do you look after um, at Canva? How do you think about partnerships in general? Um, how does partnership work in a PLG company versus like just in general other companies uh, just start from there and okay. we, and then <laughs> we'll know like what, kind of, like what kind of scope that like the the, the, the directions we can go from there
1: Sure. So, uh, I think um, for to start off with is that you know Canva definitely totally unique situation probably from any other company that I've been at. That might be the recurring theme is figuring out what makes the most sense for company they're at at the time it is, um, and then how do you grow and scale alongside your user base and your customers. Um, so when I started at Canva, it was what is it uh, early 2019. Um, at this point in time, Canva was as you all know. Um, um, the uh, huge, massive um, consumer base, um, and had we, having still the phenomenal type of uh, graphic design software that it is today, and really like working off of a huge, uh, you know, single player type of mode. Um, we didn't have an enterprise product then. We didn't have Canva for education. None of those were were launched um, yet, and so those are things that we are starting to uh, build internally at Canva. Um, so no sales team, no enterprise marketing partnerships is still like. Even, even today is still you know, fairly spread out across the organization. I think it's a very broad term, um, but certainly for us, as we were starting to think about, hey, how do we engage with other uh, larger customers and enterprises? That was something that factored in really well and helped us build the business, you know, whether you call it consumer or enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, for us, you know, uh, there's multiple different types of partnerships, whether it's content uh, thinking about over the long term, how do we co-sell? There's product partnerships, too, and integrations and what that looks like. Um, and so, you know, you all, again, uh, feel free to ask as many questions on that front. Uh, but really what it meant, at least uh, for my scope, was around how do we start building out a uh, customer-facing BD type of team uh, where we have a lot of folks uh, reaching out and also handling a ton of the inbound requests that we have or hey, how we can we partner with Canva um, again across multiple different spheres?
3: Yeah, I feel like a partnership is one of those very creative disciplines. It's like a partner and we can do a integration, like a technology integration, yep. uh, and we can do co-marketing and just like share each other's email addresses, like, you know, to uh, yeah, to all the way to like, oh, let's uh, get Justin Beaver to take you know, uh, so, uh, all the way to like, oh, should we do like reseller agreements and, uh, and, you know, you, we refer each other uh, businesses. So that's so broad.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the beauty of, of Canva is that there's so many different business lines that you mm-hmm. can really work with. And we have a phenomenal team um, at Canva and everybody is, uh, you know, really pushing hard to open up new channels for us, essentially. So these things can range from, say, like the print group, for example, um, that uh, struck some huge partnerships with a lot of different major print distributors, so like from FedEx to thinking about the Walgreens of the world uh, around, you know, how do we make it as easy as possible, frankly, for people to be able to just be able to print out all the amazing, you know, digital content that they're. Creating in Canva and have those memories with them. Um, and to uh, one of the earliest uh, partnerships that we had for the enterprise product was with HubSpot. Um, and so we are trying out a few different things. A lot of this is also very experimental, such as you know almost anything else you probably start out with at any PLG type of uh, company is you know we we're trying some co-selling across uh, you know HubSpot with their new CMS product that they had launched alongside enterprise. Um, at the same time, we are also having conversations around how do we uh, technically integrate the two products together, just because, you know, marketing users were the main folks who are purchasing Canva, um, and especially the enterprise product. And so, you know, a ton of them were already using HubSpot, too, as well. So it made a ton of, a lot of sense for mm-hmm. how we could integrate those two products closer. Um, you know, you have the usual, too, as well, like we're creating content um, and different types of, you know, how do you, uh, how do you market, <laughs> how do you do marketing in general? <laughs> um, Um, and publishing those to
3: working together at different
1: events and sponsoring.
3: How, How do you even go about it, right? Like, is it primarily inbound or do you like reserve three hours per week? It's like, here are all the possible companies we can create some like creative deals with, yeah. uh and, and let's just like brainstorm or i'll leave it, how to you, how you think about it?
1: like I'm, i think I, I think the it's perfect for every single person like you know <laughs> what works for them i mean we're very lucky at, at canva to have uh tons of phenomenal interests a lot of that of course coming from the love of the product itself mm-hmm. um which is just you know that's the gift that keeps giving and creates a lot of that flywheel that we already had at, mm-hmm. at canva both not just within the actual SaaS product, but across again, you know, print um, to additional products that we're releasing across the board, mm-hmm. um, and so that's obviously a really big driver, initial um, impetus for a lot of the ideas that we had. Um, and then as we thought about scaling further, and further, it's about hey, ultimately, you know, how do you think about going up market and starting to partner with bigger and bigger uh, uh, both customers um, as well as potential other just partners in the business. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you think about any company, uh, let's take you know Walgreens or Walmart, for example, right? Like they can be using Canva itself, Canva for Enterprise, and you probably have pockets of people using uh, Canva Pro, and you have some people using Canva Free. Um, and then at the same time, you have the print integration with them. And so when you walk into Walmart, you see a little mm-hmm. kiosk <laughs> where you can actually uh, like also utilize a product, get introduced to, uh, to Canva physically. Um, and then, you know, print out your pictures that you have and then take that home. And so there's all sorts of different uh, possibilities there that, you know, I'm not even, I'm definitely not the dreamer that's for sure. (laughs) And the great people at Canva Mm -hmm. uh, coming up with that as well as
3: also our, our user base. What, like, how did you get into partnership? To start with, I think partnerships are pretty organic in terms of (laughs) where they come. (laughs) I mean, like how did you like get into a career in partnership?
1: Oh, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's uh, necessarily something that I search for probably Mm -hmm. in my career, um, it's always been a theoretically you should be planning for the next five years and what I found just working at all these different startups you just got to take opportunities when they come <laughs> And maybe you yourself or you know <laughs> Eli Irina um, you tell me like what's popped up for you but you know if 10 years ago you said I would have ended up in in tech I would have you know laughed at you I laughed at you because I was I started off as investment banker working with AIG and <laughs> Bank of America so that's not you know definitely
3: not <laughs> where I would have was one of my like <laughs> when i was in consulting was one exactly. of my clients so i definitely like i went into their basement and review their business processes yeah so <laughs>
1: We were, I remember we were rolling out. Uh, I was at Deutsche Bank and we were rolling out Microsoft Outlook. Uh, and we had to, uh, we had a pause it uh, because it was over budget and we had just rolled it out to like the analysts and the MDs. It's mm-hmm. just, it's mind boggling like how different uh, the complexity and scale of those organizations is and um, has always been also, you know, really big counterbalance to um, these startups where, you know, even Canva today is what, 1500 or so people. And, um, oh. it was like 350 when I joined, you know, that's crazy fast growth from that perspective. But then yeah. you think about, you know, the Deutsche Box in the world that are hundreds of thousands of people is, is kind of like, it's just a totally different problem.
3: Huh? What,
1: like, uh, when did you join Canva? At Canva? Mm-hmm. Tw- so 2019, uh, like around March April, May, that region, (laughs) springtime, Uh, springtime here, fall in, fall in Australia. I've had to readjust to the seasons being totally flipped.
0: (laughs) Ollie, we have a question from Michael.
1: Yeah, Uh, let's do it.
0: How do you think about growth against an entrenched incumbent?
1: I think we're all with entrenched incumbents uh, every single company that we're we're at that's the uh that's ultimately the the big gorilla I guess there's multiple gorillas in the room, depending on which way you what you're tackling and I think you know big big part of what has made canvas successful historically, like you know Mel and Cliff are just like. Look, there's something that these large incumbents, quite frankly, are not solving for. And so this is what we want to build for. Um, And, you know, the Mel's kind of like impetus for this was hey, Photoshop is really, really hard um, to use. It's really hard to teach other people how to use. So I'm going to build (laughs) what ultimately has become Canva. And so uh, that type of mentality, you know, really thinking about, hey, what are first principles, user like ease of use and simplicity is definitely always top of mind. And for us, ultimately, it's just solving what's in front of you. Um, that's, uh, that's necessary and definitely don't be afraid <laughs> and probably the number of people that said, you know, Canva was, you know, the startup in Australia, you know, they're first-time founders, all these, you know, usual, um, excuses that you make to say that, Hey, they're not going to be successful has been something where they've been really heads down, again, focused on, um, what the users are looking for and asking for and, and building for that. And that has, um, helped make them really successful, um, yeah. and to where they are
3: today, like, one theory around that is uh, the Clay Christensen's, like, innov- innovator's dilemma, innovator solution. It's really about, like, going, going up market after, um, like, so initially when there's, like, huge incumbent, you want to go after the uh, market that the huge incumbent don't, like, is not worth them worth worth it for them to go after so like the smaller companies or like the lower acv segments uh it's just like too expensive for those big incumbents to go after and once you um, capture those uh, like smaller uh, uh, segments uh, and really win in that segment. And then you go up market in building more sophisticated features and, and doing bigger deals. And that's how like innovators like, you know, capture the entire market, which I think really applies in Canva's um, case. Right? Like initially Canva is more like a tool for individuals to, you know, demarketizing design. Yep. And then Canva is becoming more and more sophisticated in going on market and selling into enterprises and going like more in the like, full integration around all these tools uh, that marketers use and, and, and designers use. So I think that's like when we think about incumbents, uh, one of the ways to uh, to think about.
1: Yeah. There's tons of indicators around that, too, around Mm -hmm. to give you some hypothesis to really test and start Mm -hmm. to stretch. Just seeing the number of people using Canva together was a great kind of like tipping point for why we should build an enterprise product in the first place. Same with the education specific product, too, just having so many students um, and teachers uh, working in the product. Um, And then just listening to user feedback has also been such a critical way of helping people understand and, you know, you know, at some point in time, we've got uh, Canvas got 50 million, you know, MAUs on a, a regular basis, like being very active in the product, and so you're getting to a point in time where you're reaching such a large number of people
3: um, that you can start to, you know, make that movement up market. Mm-hmm hmm You mentioned the education. I'm super curious because um, at like several SaaS companies I work with, education is a very significant portion in terms of user base, like a number of users or like their activity is amazing, you know. Slack and Loom and like anthropology, like, you know, all, all of the SaaS companies have a huge um, like uh, education piece, but they may not necessarily be the most highest, uh, th- have the highest sort of LTV um, in like paying us. And there's typically a, a education discount is offered, or sometimes companies offer it for free. Yep. How do you think about the education Segment for SaaS companies?
1: Well, so for us, it's like when you just think about a user, we think about the longevity of literally your entire lifetime. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for us, a user of Canva for Education today, a kid in you know, third grade uh, is making their projects in Canva. At some point in time, they're going to end up growing up using Canva throughout their whole schooling, up, all the way up through high school. Mm. They're going to end up going to college, um, and that point in time, you know, you see a lot of folks flipping over to Canva Pro and starting mm. to pay a little bit for uh, additional features to help them. Um, you know, they're making resumes uh, for when they're then moving on into the workforce a few years later, right, and that's That's when you start thinking about, okay, maybe then they start also using Canva for Enterprise too at work. And so that's a like very, very long timeline for us. And what we want to do is try to be there for that user at any point in their journey and at the points in time where they need to utilize and build all these, you know, presentations and, you know, insert any project.
3: (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I have a devil's advocate to, to like... Yeah, which I love to do, uh, <laughs> arguing, um, so, uh, you know, like we have uh, Snapchat, or like every se- every few years, so there's a new social media tool yeah. that teenagers love to use, to yeah. talk, right, like, and, and it's a I theory,
1: I've not adopted any of that's <laughs> so I don't know where this, where this, may not be the right
3: person, <laughs> oh, okay, so that could be your counter argument, actually, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, like I, I grew up using Facebook and I've been using Facebook. I'm not going to use TikTok because like I didn't grow up with it. So like, do you think that case applies to <laughs> in here, like versus the other way around? It can
1: to some extent. I mean, you come back to a lot of the entrenched incumbent question from earlier, right? Mm-hmm. You know, even though, it, you know, to me, I'm like, and, you know, Canva is significantly simpler to utilize at the same time, you know, most of the, you're talking to folks still using PowerPoint. You're still talking to people still using Photoshop. You're talking mm-hmm. to people in Google, Google Slides um, or Google Docs. So there's always going to be still like a good chunk of people. And I think it though for us, that's just an opportunity that we can continue going after right. mm-hmm. um, and continue to build for because, you know, we haven't gotten to a place yet clearly where we're absolutely solving for what their needs are.
3: Mm, so you're really taking a very long time view, yeah. Assuming that the company is going to be like you know ten years, twenty years, and that's the horizon you're actually. Yeah,
1: yeah. I yeah. think yeah, that's what I've loved about both you know Canva, Envision, Dropbox. You know, all of the founders like from the very beginning was thinking about this as a very very long time frame um, to uh, uh, in terms of what they're trying to build, as well mm-hmm. as you know who they're. Um, who they're trying to help. Um, And, you know, along the way, yes, there's some glory involved, I suppose, (laughs) and some really huge valuations. Um, But that's all I think uh, (laughs) a side benefit of of the journey. Mm. I think
0: as far as like the whole entrenched incumbent piece, like it's just so explicitly calls out the companies that are highly focused on like customer-driven product strategy, right? Yes. I think when that's a clear focus from the beginning, like that shows in the product and that's where you can easily win it alongside these incumbents because they're not focusing on the customers. Like somewhere in your growth, like people stop focusing on like how the customers are using the product and actually listening to that feedback. Um, I won't name any names, but there are other companies out there where it's like very obvious that they don't listen to the customers or they release new features that are like, we didn't ask for this, you know? And so I think it's really clear that the winners in the games are the ones that are really focusing on like a customer driven roadmap or product strategy.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will Yeah. I will say yes to that every single time <laughs> you said you already said it. <laughs> like That's yeah. all that anybody needs to take away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mic drop.
3: And and then hopefully, like over a few years, you gather enough data of say, oh, like this person has been uh, around with us for like, you know, five years. And they were like, which, which one were their use case? And then now which ones were their now use case? Hopefully you can like tie that like close that loop a few years later to say, okay, yes, like validated. Here's the ROI realized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think,
1: it, I mean, that could segue into also a really meaty topic too. Is just like, what is, you know, value that each company really cares about or what is mm-hmm. an ROI that matters? Like for us at Canva, this is, you know, the same question at Dropbox too, where we have such a massive um, free user base or very low pay, you know, low LTV relatively speaking, because mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Uh, the pro products were, you know, very low price, you know, what do we do relative to say enterprise customers that are paying significantly more, but probably have a totally different set of needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for us uh, at Canva with the education product, you know, that's a free forever type of situation. That's the way that we think about it. And so, um, you know, in that case, like, is there an ROI? Like those are, those are really interesting
3: conversations to have. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, like you touch upon, uh, like, I think existential question for a lot of PLG companies, right. Yeah. We have like huge amount of uh, free users. Yep. Um, and a lot of them may never pay us. Uh, how do you think about that? Is it saying, okay, like, we should like be more targeted and find the people who will eventually, Pay us, or do you say okay? Like even though today they don't have a use case, but hopefully if we nurture them over time, they will have new use cases and became become uh, the, the, our customers. Or you just say, oh, that's a you know that's just like the users who comes, uh, and we don't really like think about them. care. About, like how do you how do you <laughs> think about this?
1: You I think in- early on for mm-hmm. sure. There's definitely yeah. De- at the beginning where you're trying to figure out whether or not you've actually got some level of traction, Mm -hmm. um, as well as like you want, you know, the the highest ROI situations are anything that's based off of word of mouth, any other form of organic channel mm-hmm. that you can think of, like, that's the best possible, you know, investment that you could be making, like your users making that investment for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, that ultimately, you know, leads to uh, the eventual, you know, paying us something theoretically, especially if they continue to utilize a product, they reach the level where, you know, they're going to come back over and over again. And that's going to mean something really different different, um, for every single company, you know, for us at, uh, at Canva, it was how many times did they actually, you know, create a design and publish it. Uh, and if they came back twice, like you knew they were going to come back again, um, for the next, you know, rest of the year type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, uh, at Dropbox and at Dropbox, like the definition, you know, of what, uh, an active user was kind of changed a whole bunch <laughs> along the way. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at one point in time, uh, it was, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, they shared uh, a link. And so that was something that we really focused on. And so you could create, you know, try to generate some form of network effect. Uh, mm-hmm. Even at Canva, you know, that's something we think about too, as well, especially as we try to get into more multiplayer type of use cases where everybody's interacting together. And so mm-hmm. that's why we built some, uh, we called it, um, and I still call it today, half the time, simul- sim collab or simultaneous collaboration mm-hmm. in the product, yeah. and be able to do that because uh, so many people are asking, like, hey, how can we actually work on this product together, even if you know they were still just using even the free version of the product and not even on enterprise. But ultimately, that's led, and what we've seen, it's led to not only more users like actually getting exposed to Canva, but they keep also coming back because it's just simplified their workflow um, by putting everything Everything into Canva and finding out that it's a lot easier to use Mm than, say, editing a PowerPoint. Yeah, that's
3: such a great point. Like, I I noticed that a lot of um, SaaS tools initially start with um, an individual product. Like okay this this is a tool for you to uh, record videos (laughs) or your screen and or this is a tool for you to edit your facebook post right this is a tool for you to store files um and then over time almost like inevitably like majority of the companies that are actually you know like or design tool for you to design is becoming this multiplayer team product um, I've seen that happening, in, like you know, at Loom, at like at like uh, other places. And I see, for example, uh, like oh, well, I, I mean, I think Figma is like by nature a, a collaboration tool, but like even the in like the the single player tools starting to build more of a, a multiplayer mode. Yep. But I know that process of going going from single to multiplayer is extremely challenging. Yep. Um, Anything you want to share about that journey <laughs> that you have gone through? I don't, I think, there's no secret sauce, yeah, I think <laughs> that's for sure.
1: I mean, that's just the complexity of yeah, adding more and more humans. Mm, and I think that's mm, how mm. you find great founders, you know, along the way too, having a lot of conviction in the initial idea that they have. And a lot of people found companies because, you know, they have this serious pain point that they've experienced. And that's ultimately what's led to a lot of, uh, you know, the initial start of almost all of these companies that we've Mm -hmm. mentioned today, that was where it started from. And then ultimately, when you realize that, okay, you've got something that's working, and you start bringing other people into it, then it becomes a nature of, oh, yeah, now I'm having a conversation, you know, with folks I haven't met before. (laughs) Like that's kind of a cool way to meet everybody. But I never would have thought about that in the initial instance, because that wasn't what uh, you're trying to design for. Uh, Uh, But in terms of, you know, I think uh, for, as you're building a company, the more things that you add on top that you're trying to solve for the number of, you know, just exponentially multiplies of, you know, which users do you care about? Which use cases do you care about? (laughs) And then you got to make all these decisions decisions, they have repercussions along the way that yep. end up, you know, touching things that you probably didn't even think about <laughs> when you're testing it in the first place.
3: That makes sense. Cause like you observe the user behavior and then you say, oh, the, actually the use case may have changed over time now that more people start to use the product. And then yeah. you cater to that new user needs and, and building out the products that fits that, which that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Eli, like, do you see that happening? Like, is or like, do you see that as like a general trend in SaaS? Um, is it just because like, you know, multiplayer has higher LTV? Like how, what's your view around that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that is where the market is going. But things are shifting so quickly nowadays that I I don't know like it's 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 interesting to see. It feels like there's a little bit of a tug of war right now between the two polarities, right? And some models work better for other for for certain sectors and certain products uh, than others. So I guess it's a little bit contextually dependent. What do you think, Karina?
0: Yeah, I would say like I've seen both motions. Like obviously, I think the trend is like. Viral loops, viral loops, like we got to create some type of virality and like create, you know, the multi-user situation. But then I also feel like that creates more chaos down the road because to your earlier point, Holly, it's like we have all of these users, like which of these are actually ever going to convert to anything that's paid. Like now we have all of this data that we kind of have to mine through and be really strategic about who we try to, you know, convert to paid um, so I think if you focus in more on just like the single user and you know, that's the user that's going to convert to paid, you can hone in on, you know, the user experience, building the product for that user. But I think it just depends on the product, the founder, like you said, Tiffany, and like what their vision is.
1: And we can talk about too, uh, kind of an additional piece too, as you're going through is <laughs> just what are the economics of what makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of push of, when do we actually start bringing in an enterprise sales team, for example? Yes. And do you have ASPs that are high enough or LTVs that are big <laughs> enough to justify that? Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you have enterprise sales companies uh, that started off um, like having sellers and are starting to build out a PLG motion too. Like, does that make sense if say like you're Snowflake and you're selling, you know, million dollar deals out of the gate, do you need this? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a good, is a good question. Maybe Snowflake's not quite the, best example, but, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, you know, or like a Viva Viva Mm -hmm. or Workday that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't need to necessarily have that type of uh, motion in place. Mm
3: -hmm. So how do you think about it?
1: Answer your own question,
3: please. <laughs> always uh, a <laughs> <laughs> <intercom>. uh, <laughs> welcome, welcome, to the house home. <laughs> yeah. No, you're trapped.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's always the. Uh, I mean, the incubation idea. I think I've mentioned a few times mm-hmm. uh, to test that hypothesis is a really great way to be able to start kicking off, and so hence the initial team that you're bringing on board, whether it's the full-time employees, like your first salesperson, your first five sellers. Um, Um, You know, do you need a customer success team? Do you need STRs or BDRs? Those are all good questions to have. You know, which agencies um, or folks like Eli, you know, that you're going to bring in initially, like... That all matters so heavily. Like the team is probably the number one most important, um, uh, most important thing to think about. Because um, you're looking for folks who have, you know, a shared vision and also idea of what things to execute around is also gonna be really critical. And mm-hmm. what success actually means um, needs to be there. Um, with respect to like, hey, when do you bring in sales stuff like that, you're, you know, you're usually looking for hiring ASPs for sure beyond um, what you're you're getting. From the self serve motion, mm-hmm. and um, exactly you know what's the also like market opportunity that you have within each of those customers. Um, so at Dropbox uh, is probably the most stark example. I'll use that, and then how that kind of also applied to the Canva uh, piece. Um, Dropbox um, we had an online sales teams so all inbound. Um, that channel was roughly like a thousand dollars a pop, uh, ASP wise. So really, really low, <laughs> really small. You gotta have crazy velocity to. Or, to be able to justify having human touch. And as we started bringing in sellers, uh, we saw quickly that, hey, with more experienced sellers, we could go outbound, but we we're still landing relatively low deals at you know 3K a pop, which still necessitates a very, very high velocity uh, motion and just needing tons and tons of leads, which we did at Dropbox and ultimately over time, as we started to sell bigger and bigger deals, that was when we began hiring and bringing in folks who are much more traditional sellers. Uh, that you're looking at, you know, year-long deal cycles, uh, nine months to a year-long type of deal cycles. Um, Canva, uh, we're in a great situation uh, where out of the gate uh, on enterprise, even coming out of the beta, we're at ASPs of you know roughly between 10 and 15k um, straight out of the gate, and looking at upsells uh, within the first six months already. And so we knew we had traction there to be able to start uh, bringing on board uh, a sales team, um, and then for us too, we had a little bit of a different uh, calculus with with uh, with Canva, where you know we were Australian based uh, as a business in Sydney, and we had offices in Manila and in Beijing, but you know we didn't have. Uh, an office uh, in any of the places where our customers for enterprise are going to be, where most of our major partners would be. And so we had to set up a US office. So how do we think about that too, as well as, okay, we know sales, marketing, a lot of go-to-market functions would be what would kick off um, that type of uh, presence um, to be able to service and Uh, do and help our customers along the way. And so kind of like there are a lot of different factors that really drove into why do we decide to start moving up market to as well, not just the Mm-hmm. itself yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah like um one theory i heard is like once you almost reach like the 10 10 million rr it's time to like hire your head of sales <laughs> uh which is like could could be like you know one way to think about it uh another way to think about it is like okay like do we start to see Let's say like 25k ARR per deal yeah. size. And that's what is the signal that's okay. Like, yeah, let's hire it. Like, how do you think about that? Like, is there. Threshold that, that,
1: that it's, the it's always tough on this front, uh, mm-hmm. because it's like, where's that 10 million bucks in AR coming from, for example, right? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, just self serve, yeah. yeah. Like, Canva, we didn't have enterprise product, yeah, it's all self serve. So, <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, Canva was already past, uh, what is it, past like 200 million in AR when I joined, and so it's oh, just wow. like, you know. <laughs> they were a little bit, (laughs) you know. They did not. That would not have been the right benchmark for them. (laughs) So two million AR
3: and no sales team. Two hundred. Two hundred million AR, no sales team
1: yeah and they're well past that yeah which wow. is wild absolutely crazy wow uh, it's i thought I mean, was late look dropbox uh. is the same way like uh when i joined they had started uh i think building out they had built out the online sales team maybe six months six to nine months before i joined mm-hmm. and then uh, and then started bringing on an enterprise sales team uh around the time when i joined so this was 2013 mm-hmm. um summer 2013 roughly around then um and there are already passed you know, $200 million in actual revenue. And so it's just like, you know, <laughs> some of these rules of thumb don't always apply. Uh, <laughs> it also speaks to the, you know, the power of right. what you can actually right. achieve right. Uh, via self-serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, th- but, you know, both companies did start out with, hey, how do we solve for um, a consumer type of problem um, along the way, which is a little bit different from companies that are explicitly, you know, selling to the enterprise. Mm, mm.
3: What's your view on all the SaaS companies uh, trying to go go with PLG? Um, I, I see. <laughs> I have to say in
1: <laughs> Australia, PLG was not an acronym. Uh, uh-huh. So once I got back here to San Francisco, <laughs> I've now realized that is the hot <laughs> 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 Acronym to use.
3: <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, okay, so we have international audience. It's actually like PLG is like very cyclical. It's a very like a safe day, I think. Thing, I think.
2: <laughs> all the VCs were just standing by exactly. the door, waiting to grab their surfboard and get on a wave. And all of a sudden, the PLG wave came, and they're like, "Yeah, let's do that's it." it. <laughs> PLG. <laughs> Um, We've got a question from Nidhi, and I apologize if I'm probably not saying that right. So I'm going to read it to us. At the cost of going off topic, there's no such thing as off topic on the show. uh, As a marketer and leader, what are some of the investments? and skill sets that have paid off for you in the maximum dividends over time, such as public speaking or investing in Salesforce chops, etc.
1: Who wants to take that first? You. I think anybody's applicable on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so this is maybe less of a explicit investment, but I will answer that question too. <laughs> My thing is, uh, you know, when there are opportunities, take them, especially in these startups, like there is probably there is more to be done than it could possibly have people do. Um, And so when I started at Dropbox, for example, you know, sales ops wasn't a thing. Um, And even within the biz ops team there, you know, there wasn't very many people who are actually focused on that part of the business. Um, and that for me was something that was really interesting, but you know, it's not like I came in and Dropbox or had any idea of uh, you know, how do I work with the sales team? How do we scale that up? What is required? You know, I certainly did not use Salesforce at that point in time. <laughs> and so a lot of those areas are, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna grab that um, as an opportunity and figure it out and learn as much as I can as quickly as possible. Um, and from there, I think there is to some extent you learn very quickly where you need to make investments in. And so uh, for me, it's around just, hey, learning really really fast from different sales leaders uh, across the board we interviewed tons and tons of leaders when we were first at Dropbox from all spectrums you know whether it's from the folks who had been at salesforce and oracle for many years to the leaders at LinkedIn which is probably one of the companies that uh, would have been you know at the leading wave of what we call PLG today and then from there uh, you know learning how to use salesforce uh, from folks who were actual salesforce architects um, instead of hacking it together <laughs> with people who I never used Salesforce before, which is the original <laughs> kind of situation. And, you know, we did that. I've done that at least at every company that I've been at, because obviously new knowledge comes out constantly around how to do things more effectively. Um, and uh, and then you kind of figure out what's the appropriate kind of framework to apply to the company that you're at. That
3: makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's worked the yeah. most for you. Um, for me in the past few years has been, uh, like leadership coaching,, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so like I was very much like, oh what like, what are the all the things I need to learn to do the job, um like uh, skill set wise. And I didn't really pay attention a lot to like leadership and how to think about organizational design, how to think about, um, coaching, uh, my team, um, how to set the vision, inspire people. And all of those were like, Oh, I know those are important, but I don't know how to start uh, where to start. So I didn't really have a conscious effort of like building all those capabilities. And in the past few years, I like start to like spend more time in just getting coaching, and then uh, actually taking coach training myself to become a coach. And that process has really given me a lot of insight into who am I, what do I want, what's my values, and how do I think about like all the saboteurs in my head, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) which I know everyone have. And so (laughs) I just took this test,
1: like, no, it. like I, yeah, I do, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So I am uh, hyper rational and overachiever. Okay.
2: Wait, what test is this? I <laughs> and he's the
3: like, test Okay, the <laughs> sabatoi, the sabatoi test.
2: Oh, this, oh, it's actually called the saboteur oh, test. Yeah, I guess.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like the op uh, uh did y'all use enneagram uh yeah, at any place? yeah it's like kind of similar it's like the opposite of that in terms of concept uh mm-hmm. all the voice all the
3: negative parts <laughs>
2: interesting
3: but yeah. i need to uh, that we need to make friends yeah. with, uh, to make our
2: team friends. is obsessed with enneagram tests just to like understand each other and so now i've got another thing to add to that uh i'm
1: a i'm an eight. Ooh. oh i'm an eight <laughs> Great, not a great reaction. <laughs> no, I'm
0: an aide too. So I was ah, like, yes. <laughs> Elon, where oh, are you? Where are
1: you? I th-
2: I think I'm like a th- I'm I I'm like somewhere between a three and an eight.
1: You have to be one or there's no like in between. And the doesn't be, yeah, that's <laughs> not
3: One or the other.
2: Yeah, I don't remember actually. <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> you're a three. I am uh like so the first few times, (laughs) the first few times I took it, I was a five, which is the hyper-rational side. And then the latest time I took it, I was a six, which I think might be your wing. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Wow.
1: We can can move to one of the other questions. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay.
0: I have a couple things. So off the Just for Needy, she was asking if you could spell the test name in the chat, Tiffany, that you, or the one that you guys were talking about.
1: Yes, so also okay, so one thing I probably should work on is spelling. <laughs> I think it's this. <laughs>
0: um, and then Carolina, she had a question. She said, thanks, Tiffany, for sharing with us. I have a question about what do you think makes Canvas special against the competition? And what do you think helps Canva to convert more from premium to premium?
1: There's a special Probably many things. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's always been the focus on uh, on the users. Uh, that's something that has been. Uh, i mean mel to this day still you know reads tickets that people have sent in and that's you know one of the things she's always asking for is like hey do we test this on a set of users before we release any experiment or any new feature or whatever we're trying to ship um, that's such an important piece of what has i think um and you know what we've discussed earlier too around just being so user obsessed or customer focused uh, to really help us um, build something that people love to utilize you <laughs> Um, and yeah, you know, that's definitely I think gotten us quite far uh, along the way. In terms of uh, converting more, I'm probably not the best person to answer this. It might be a more of a Dave <laughs> question, who who leads our our pro and our uh, our product teams um, and monetization um, on that front. Uh, but he's um, he would definitely be the most on top in terms of you know why they actually convert. Um, so for us, around um, what the pro product is. Differentiation wise, one, it does give you the ability to be able to work better with other people and have access to way more templates. You know, that's been a huge element to our success. To your prior question, um, is that, you know, our template statement is freaking awesome. <laughs> and they build some, like, there's it's so easy to use, it's beautiful, and is relevant in multiple different contexts. Uh, you know, uh, a, a story that I always share and to what helped influence me for joining Canva. You know, when I had first uh when I, you know, was talking to Canva and uh uh was talking to a lot of folks in Silicon Valley that are very much just like, ah, it's a company out in Australia and like, you know, they've probably just had some really good luck along the way. Uh but you know it's something that will peter out type of situation. And I'm from Oklahoma, not really the most, you know, tech forward state that you think of initially. And I was just chatting with my friends, uh, moms and being like, hey, I might move to Australia. And- and you know they're like what company? I'm just like they're not gonna know what this is. <laughs> and then I was like Canva, and they're just like oh Canva, <laughs> like. I love Canva. I use it all the time. And I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, first off, I didn't even know they could use a computer, but like, that's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other situation there. Wow. But, you know, they're using it for like uh, church groups on Sunday or like barbecues yeah. and weddings, stuff like that. And so it's pretty like fascinating in terms of, you know, who are you trying to solve for? It's usually, you know, a lot of the time in San Francisco, that's not the first person you think about is <laughs> solving for moms in Oklahoma as, <laughs> as you're using base and we found yeah uh, you know, something amazing at I canva that where they love this product and you know a lot of them end up uh, paying for uh, the ability to do so we've always kept pricing incredibly low so that to remove as much friction as possible uh, for users so it's not even something that you know you're just paying five bucks extra a month to mm-hmm. be able to get so much more um, uh, in your arsenal and your day-to-day yeah. across both your private life as well as at work so um yeah, it's pretty amazing.
3: That that really ties back to our earlier question. Actually, what's the value of the social users? What's the value of education users, right? Like, even though it may not reflect directly on the account of the person, but what a mouse, right? Like mm-hmm. validation. The, the the intangible things uh, that are actually pretty hard to measure, right? Like if my mom and I both use this product, it's like, oh wow, my mom loves it, and then like that adds the positive sentiment I have around the brand, yeah. uh, and that's hard to measure. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: I also think it's, it can teach you so much about your product too. So like Tiffany, to your point, you're like, I didn't even know you could use computer. And it's like, they love this. Like that says so much about the product in terms of like the adoption across persona that it's just like built, you know, it's a great product.
3: yeah, I have a question about organizational structure. Okay, um, is partnership is this thing that I've seen? For example, at Slack. We have a like business development team which does more of the like higher level partnerships. For example, like Slack and, and Dropbox has like a partnership on technology integration as well as just like organizational uh, a, a partnership. And then there's like M and A, uh, and then on marketing um, separately. It, there is a, a partnership marketing yep. uh, team, yep. which works on, some of them work on like a platform marketing, yep. which is like SDK, stuff like that. And then there's like, uh, you know, developer marketing and there's like co-marketing partnership, that type of thing. How, how do you think about organizing like partnership as can, can include so much? Do you see them typically sit in two different orgs under one executive and who that typically is? And how do you think about structuring partnership teams?
1: I think partnerships is actually a great example of just how wild things can be. Like (laughs) it's, I mean, at For us in terms of probably the most type of centralization to some extent is just around having a core like BD team um, Mm -hmm. that handles um, as much of the conversation as possible with each of the different partners and building that relationship and and leading those. But otherwise, essentially, uh, Canva is largely measured out by is broken out by different product groups is the way that we've kind of um, built everything out. And so on the go to market side, and especially with something like partners, Partnerships, are like with sales, it's kind of in a kind of an interesting spot because you know you're actually working across different product groups. Um, and so within partnerships, there is to your point, like partner marketing, which had sat within the product group that helps us build the technology required for uh, a lot of our integrations. Um, and so we do have like a specific uh, product uh, partnerships team too that has you know an person, a PM, uh, it has engineers and a PM and uh, but it not necessarily, um... Uh, the same for say content partnerships uh, which sits within mm. our marketing group um, that doesn't necessarily have a dedicated bd person working on that uh, but then you have education partnerships with our which our sales team for education that works with like the large districts things like that also handles similar requests because it's a similar type of go to market motion where you're making these very large deals and working with uh, the types of folks who would
3: be working
1: on contracts and lawn deals cycles. Oh, so
3: that piece actually sits if it's in sales. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's like folks that works on those deals reporting to the um, sales. And then there's like partner marketing reports into marketing. And then there's like other partnerships that report you to the product, like, the, the, yeah, product the product groups. team. Yeah. Yeah. And you belong to which group?
1: So I lead all of it's funky. I lead all of sales. So across the board. (laughs) Plus, then there's little bits and pieces of like marketing and, you know, partnerships. And so it's kind of a Mm. funky mix. Uh, Mm. Partnerships is probably not the only one that doesn't have like a very clearly explicit product group whereas Mm -hmm. the enterprise product and the education product are both separate entities and so it kind of has a much easier
3: uh, consolidation it's easier to explain the job (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's fascinating
2: and we've covered some serious ground today this is uh this is awesome tiffany thank (laughs) you so much for uh for joining us